Boom, and we are live. Welcome to another episode of AlphaCast. We're here today with a very special guest, David Devine from the Adapt 2030 YouTube channel. You may know him from his uh, daily talks about the Grand Solar Minimum. And of course, we also have uh, Dr. Bear Paul Lando on with us today. Uh, it's going to be a really fun show today as we get into solutions for the oncoming cold we'll be facing with the Grand Solar Minimum. Um, there's a lot of channels out there that discuss the science behind it, and we're not going to get too ingrained into, into that today. If you want to go to David's channel, Adapt2030, uh, he has other links there too. Um, we, there's the, all the scientific evidence and... Um, uh, precedence for what we're dealing with is there and we don't want to get too bogged down with that today we're today we're going to focus more on solutions and um, what we can do for uh, our own sovereignty and, our, and empowering ourselves to not only uh, get through this these times ahead but also to uh, really thrive in these times how are you today David yeah doing well thanks for having me on and as we do go through the program, remember, you have to discuss the problem a little bit so at least you know what you're up against. And then if you know what is going to occur because it's occurred in the past, it gives you a good indication of where it's going to go. It won't move exactly the same as it did in the 1600s, 1300s, 800 AD, but we know the large things that are going to happen. There'll be population migration, economic contraction, food price rises, food inavailability. Now, this is your greatest asset. And you can have prosperity beyond your wildest dreams if you're providing value during this time. If you know where these changes are going to occur, you can prepare for them. But there's going to be a lot of people who aren't prepared. And that's where your value is going to be is bringing some of those along who didn't prepare. Because if you can see the future and what might change and you can hop ahead of that, that's going to be the greatest opportunity in human history. But again, it's not about fear. It's about understanding the problem first and then finding where your niche might be. And again, it's about value, value, and more value as these changes occur. You're not going to live it out and like sit by yourself alone and do it. Or you have to, it's going to be more community-based and uh, more social movement as we move in. And I don't mean social media. I mean, people coming together again. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about this a lot on the channel. We live in a, in a reality that is, um, that is dominated by the polarity of, of the reality. And when I, I almost feel like it's the natural ebb and tide of, if you go back in the historical cycles here, um, and you, we, relate, we related uh, as a preview of this show about how um, the fall and rise of empires relate to these cycles of the sun. Um, but it's almost like nature's way of cleaning out the the rot, if you will, of uh, uh, what you get when you have these um, these large empires. And for us, you're you're dead on as far as the positive elements to what's happening is it's going to force us in a way to start engaging more as a, in our locality, in our community, and getting more self sufficient as a means to uh, prosper. Uh, because right now, um, people have really lost touch with where they get their food, um, where all resources come from. We've got the domination of big agriculture, big pharma, all these massive multinational companies, uh, the just-in-time uh, delivery system. All of this, which has made our life really easy and, and created a lot of complacency uh, as a health company, we've also seen this has been very detrimental in many ways to our health. So having this 
um, these natural cycles, maybe there's a mother nature is pretty smart and maybe there's a reason to it. Yeah, but you can see over the last hundred years how we've been pushed into this system of reliance. We used to have railroad tracks and trolley cars and, and things that were running across our planet circa 1910. They had electric cars in 1880. You have to realize that the first electric cars ever on the planet, the first cars were not fossil fuel driven cars. They were electric in 1880. So this dependent system, and again, you're farming. Everybody had a family farm back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Well, then it started to taper away in the 60s. And now you can only get your food from a supermarket. And now some cities are passing ordinances where you can't grow food in your front yard. You can't collect your own water. So there's been this definite push into the system, the arms that welcome you into dependency. And this is what I want to try to say that, you know, people live quite differently, not even that long ago. And we can do it again. And once you start to do it again, this is where if you do it at too large of a level, you know, you get some pushback from governments, et cetera, wanting to get a license tax and do all these things. But as I envision the future moving forward after 2021, most of this kind of uh, overregulation and nanny state kind of babying will, will slowly dissipate because there'll just be so much other thing going on that, uh, you know, they kind of over, they've indoctrinated everybody down into this almost so we could get a pacifier in your mouth every day. Well, I think that's going to gradually be loosened off here and we'll have more sovereignty to be able to grow food, figure out our own transportation, figure out our own electricity without having to rely on the grid. And I'm not talking about solar panels, gravitational vortex power, Perendev, magnetic motors, and a few other things so we don't have to pay to stay on the grid. We should be totally off grid. We could have set up the system completely off grid from Tesla's time, moving forward with the type of electricity, wireless distribution, and uh, water filtration, and all these things that we think of that we have to get from a store or get from a utility company. We wouldn't have needed to string this planet with copper cables had we gone with wireless electricity. So everything's there to get you dependent on the system. And I want everybody to look that way that it's been done and you can do it again. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's amazing. And we could get into the alternative energy concepts because that's something that I love. And then relating that to blockchain, because I think that is the way to decentral, decentrally empower it, empower, you know, um, and even through AI and the right kind of AI, um, centralization is um, obviously been the goal of the controllers and it's led us down this path towards a very fragile um, ecosystem and uh, overall infrastructure and you know imagine being a, an intelligence from somewhere else and flying over our civilization and seeing it all strung along with these these wires and stuff and how crude it must have would look like, you know, and in meanwhile, we've been sold this idea that we're at the apex of humanity. Um, so yeah, the, the grand solar minimum is going to be for many a rude awakening, but for those who can understand what it is and embrace it and be ready for it. Um, it's something to, I would say, I'm kind of looking forward to it to be honest. Well, it's going to, make people more reliant on themselves. And when people become more reliant on themselves or psychology changes, the way they move through their day changes, just the way they embrace nature around them or other human beings around them changes because they're going to need those same human beings to help them in their survival mode grow 
process. And when you're talking about electricity, it's not about just growing the food. You know, what are you going to do with two tons of apples or 16 tons of cabbage? You're going to have to process that somehow. And having electricity to process it and store it and whatever you like to dehydrate it maybe, can it, whatever you need, you're going to need heat and electricity to do that on a mass scale. So if there's any ways for us to continuous or continually have electricity, if the grid goes down or, uh, you know, just have access to electricity when other things might uh, contract, if you will, you know, that, that's better all the way around. Now, you know, starting to think outside the box for this and, you know, we've been fed again. Physics is only one way that you can't get more in than you can get out. But again, Tesla proved that so incorrect, but we keep being chugged along this path here. Every high school class, plasma physics doesn't work. Get magnetic motors don't work. You can't get it. You can't do it. So they got almost everybody stopped developing or even trying just on the basic, you know, education system. Like who comes out of there at the end going, you know, I think it's going to work and I'm still going to try it anyway. Almost zero. So just yeah. that alone is going to take 99.9% of the people out of the innovation game. Well, I'm trying to say we need to go back into the innovation game, multiply it by 10, swirl it around, and then do it again to see some of these solutions. Because the things we're going to be facing in the future are something that we haven't faced. The minimum on the cycle of the grand solar minimum is 400 years. But I think this is a heavier, more powerful cycle. And I think we're back into the 2,000 to 4,000 year heaviness of cycle repeating again. That's my own personal opinion. But I think it's going to be a culmination of cycles on top of cycles this time. I don't think it's going to be just a 400 year. And plus we have the uh, weakening magnetic field on our planet, the magnetic pole reversal underway. And there's a couple other things, wild cards that are happening that didn't happen during the last five grand solar minimums. That's what I was, I wanted to get in today, actually. And I would love to also return back to the physics because I'm sure Dr. Lando um, has some interesting insights into that. Um, but as far as these cycles go, so we've got the 400 year cycle for the grand solar minimum. But um, as I've been in my research, seeing that there's some larger macro cycles that seem to be coalescing um, with this one as well, that we haven't really seen in recorded human history all come together. Um, are you aware of this, um, what these other cycles are? I'll throw mine first, then I'd like to hear what yours are. This is a good way to compare information. And somebody else might even have one out there that we're not thinking about. You know, you could talk about the Bray cycles at the 3,000-year periodicity, or we come back into just the 2,000-year cycles on the multi-millennial cycles, if you want to call them that. Then we have the fourth turning, which is the 80-year cycle, which seems right there. we got the economic cycle. we got all these cycles culminating right here, right now of what's considered light or small cycles. And uh, that's where I'll leave it because I know for sure that these cycles wrap into series of five on these grand solar minimums at the 2000 year periodicity. Because when you look at the planetary geometry or the way the planets are lined up out in the heavens, we're gonna get this perfect square from the Jovians or the gas giants with the earth right in the center. And I call it like an earth sandwich, if you will. We're gonna get pulled further out uh, during the winter months for the Northern hemisphere and the Southern hemisphere. Uh, during its summer, we're going to be pulled about 700,000 to a million miles further out around 23 and 24, 2023. And then we know when we come around in this northern hemisphere, so we're going to get tugged closer to the sun. This has only happened once since 79 AD. So when you get to these types of planetary alignments, and I'm not talking an alignment where they're all in as it's about the, uh, the actual square formation that make a perfect square and the magnetics involved in that and uh, and the sun decreasing in its output as well. So we get all these electromagnetic changes happening in the magnetic field itself. And we're just going to experience something we haven't, at least based on a planetary lineup in, in the way 
it's moving and we're going to be moved in 2000 yeah. years. You got to go back to 79 AD. Vesuvius eruption occurred during that time. So, you know, there's just a lot of matchups and longer period cycles. Now, what, what do you have? I'm curious and very you well, as well. I'm curious <clears throat> what you. Yeah. I mean, you hit on, you hit on the, on the head, uh, pretty much a lot of what I was thinking about. And, and as far as the economic cycles too, um, and then in regards to the grander galactic cycles, um, you know, stuff like the Mayans were talking about and stuff too, which has a more energetic uh, effect with physics. Um, I mean, Barry, do you have any insights into this? Yeah, you know, you really have to back up. And, and uh, David, it, you have a lot of great information and, and there's a lot of people like yourself that are putting a lot of the pieces together. But we have to start from a basis of pure science. Pure science uh, that I wasn't taught in school that I had to learn on my own uh, can demonstrate that there's only one substance in the universe and it's uh, pure light that's put in motion by our consciousness. And uh, from that, there's a plan, a design, uh, uh, a design, if you will, for the universe where we're all participants. And through our consciousness, we have the ability to have thought, produce thought, which uh, creates electrical uh, properties that polarize and then nuance in uh, various dimensions, 18 specifically, to create all the, the waveforms, three-dimensional waveforms that produce our entire reality. So when you go back to that premise, um, then you can understand that when you're talking about economic cycles, you're talking about weather cycles and so forth, or even these um, superimposed uh, cycles that are created by the, the wannabe controllers, they're all one and the same. And if you understand how they're produced, then we understand we're all a collective part of that and that we can change anything anytime we want. And what we've been taught for energy is that energy is external. Somehow we have to harness it through the sun. We have to have a new contraption that's going to produce it. Um, and, you know, as you already said, Tesla, uh, you know, demonstrated that that's incorrect. Uh, energy is just there free for the taking. But there was another gentleman that we always talk about. His name is Walter Russell, who is highly esteemed by Tesla and uh, people that have studied Walter Russell understand that he was uh, way ahead of the game even than people like Tesla's because he went back to the understanding that the universe is self-created by us and that uh, just like if you want to find the energy behind uh, Leonardo da Vinci's paintings, you don't try to take apart a painting and find his energy or his idea there. You have to go directly to his consciousness, which is eternal. And... Um, so when we want to find the solution for energy, we have to understand it is not external. There's nothing external to us. It's all a product of us. And what science has endeavored to do very successfully up till now, which is a religion, not a real science, is to separate us from ourselves so that we no longer are autonomous and uh, feel or are led to believe that we don't have a say in things. So, um, yeah, energy is uh, extremely important. We're going to have some people on the show here, uh, you know, in the not too distant future where we're going to delve into more of those scientific principles so that when uh, farmers like ourselves are out growing food and so forth, it doesn't matter. We won't even be dependent on solar rays or any other external source. Uh, because we'll be able to produce it ourselves and do everything we need. So I could go a lot more into the physics of it, but I think that it's just important, you know, to step back 
and understand there's a whole piece of the puzzle that all of us have been kept in the dark with, and it's the most important piece of the puzzle. And in the meantime, um, you know, we've got to get together and uh, reconnect with ourselves, with each other, with the land. And the last thing I'll say is that, you know, we always have this separation in our discussions of nature. Well, we are nature. Uh, you know, humanity is not the evildoer, uh, you know, screwing up nature. That's another original sin concept that's been fed to us so that we think we're bad and that we, you know, never, uh, you know, reach or even uh, discover our full potential. So we need to get away from these concepts and understand that we are the power that fuels the universe and there is a natural design and we have all individually uh, been given a uh, uh, permission to be a participant in that and we have to start doing our job again. And uh, first it starts with rolling up our sleeves and doing the work on the ground, but it, uh, you know, our work on the ground will be fruitless unless we have the knowledge of who we are in the first place. So, um, so I'll let you guys take it from there. Yeah, let me jump in, Mike, with a thought here. I uh, talked to Craig also over at Radiant Creators. We were talking about ancient mystic traditions that, you know, were able to fuel their bodies without having to put food into it. So we were, you know, running through a couple mind ideas of what if there are possibilities of they've even have tricked us, if you will, that we need to consume food every day to keep our bodies running. So we were of the volition that it's in the mystic traditions, it's encoded how you can keep your body running with less food or no food. And uh, as we come into times with less food availability, unless we come up with some grand solutions, which I'm all about here is trying to find something that's usable to be able to implement it as a copy paste kind of model that can with very little input, high output, uh, that can be used in a community base where it could be implemented globally in a very short amount of time. But in that interim, if there's not enough food, is there something that the ancient mystics had taught, known, that has been erased or purposely destroyed out of our consciousness that would have let us evolve or exist without all these inputs? I mean, that would be the very base of the, uh, of the lie, again, of the dependency on a system. You need to eat every day. Well, what if there was others that didn't? Because you see it through every tradition system across the planet. There were many who were proving that you didn't actually need to put physical food into your bodies to keep it running. And uh, that's where we went with our, with our talk for a few minutes there, too. Right. So, Bear, I, was, I wanted to jump so, in on that thought with you there. Yeah, uh, just a real quick comment about that. That's a great point. There's another gentleman by the name of Kerry Reams who uh, devised a science we call ionization analysis. Now, I use that to both test bodily fluids to discern people's health and also the health of soil so that we can improve the electrical properties of both so that they operate more efficiently and uh, need uh, very much less input from the outside. And what Kerry Reams demonstrated, he was another Tesla, Walter Russell kind of character. Uh, he demonstrated uh, uh, just amazing years of research. And he's another one of those guys, of course, you've never heard about, but he should be you know, one of the most studied people by our uh, kids in school. But he showed that at least 80% of our nutrition comes from the atmosphere. That's for plants and humans. And the food that we eat is a very crude way of breaking down foodstuffs into energy. And then that only is used to break down or to uh, provide the energy that we then use to uh, derive the bulk of our nutrition 
right from the atmosphere. And the more efficient you get with that, whether it's in agriculture or yourself, you can get to the point of uh, zero point where you don't need any external input at all. So there's a whole science behind what you're saying. It's no longer relegated just to uh, you know what mystics were talking about in other cultures of centuries past. We have the science that demonstrates that. And we also show, and we do it right here on the farm, where if you if you know how to do the ionization analysis and and, um, and uh, orchestrate the chemicals in the soil to produce the electrical effects you want, you need a fraction of the fertilizers and external input in order to grow nutrient-dense, abundant crops that will have more of a chance thriving in solar minim uh, minimums and otherwise. So, uh, yeah, breatharianism is uh, possible when you have the knowledge when you understand it's not just a lofty spiritual concept, but it's a real science. And then again, it goes back to the understanding of the electrical universe because people have said, well, how the hell do you get calcium you know, out of the atmosphere to feed your body? Well, it's a waveform. It's, a partic it's not a particle. There's no substance or particles in the universe. There's only informational fields. And the reason why we live in the uh, computer industry is not just to make our lives uh, convenient with little contraptions on our desktop is to show us the technology that already exists in nature, which means in us. And so we're supposed to do what computers do, which is to create whatever we want with informational fields and no external substance because it doesn't exist in the first place. Yeah, and I'll add in another wild card on top of this, the electromagnetic field of our sun's changing, which also affects our earth electromagnetically. So these electric changes you're talking about in the soil itself and the earth you know, we're starting to get, you see more excited silica rich magma chambers. We're starting to see more tectonic activity, uh, red sprites in the atmosphere, blue jets. And there's starting to be this equilibrium or equalization of uh, power charge, if you will, and basic way to talk about it. You know, the sun and our earth need to match each other. And we, you know, it's been overcharging for, or not overcharging, but highly charged for thousands of years. And here we're going to step down into something. So this whole resonance frequency field that you're talking about, the electrical possibilities, uh, might change as well in that soil, which is really interesting on uh, how it could or what it might change into because people are starting to intuitively feel. Now, if our bodies are intuitively feeling across the planet that something is changing, you know, the plants are morphing, they're going into uh, conservation mode in some places or, you know, booming in others. There's definitely a frequency field change happening at the moment. So that, I'll just sprinkle that in on top. I didn't know what your thought would be, Bear. Yeah, and, and again, we have to remember even in, in all these concepts and, and you know, about cycles and, and so forth, we actually have a lot of say about the cycles. They aren't independent of us. So where our consciousness is as the co-creators in this solar system, those cycles are influenced by us. And uh, something like a solar minimum isn't just something that's meant to uh, you know, be doom and gloom or, oh, we're going into hard times. What it is is the fact that uh, we're supposed to not only be conscious of these cycles, but also understand our participation in them. And if we were not motivated by greed and, and whatever else motivates people these days, then uh, not only would be, we be prepared uh, for these things, but it would just be a natural ebb and flow of life without any hardship at all, because we would not be subjected or victimized uh, by anything external to us. And if our environment, uh, you know, is altered in a way, well, that's okay because, you know, we aren't depending on these archaic uh, 
you know, ideas and technologies that make us, that would render us obsolete uh, when these cycles uh, do occur. But, um, you know, I believe there's a, a, a larger intelligent design, of course, which we're part of in the cycles and that they afford us opportunities, uh, evolutionary opportunities. Uh, I don't like evolution, you know, the, the concept because it's more of a linear concept, but, you know, it's more of an expansiveness and overall consciousness, which is, you know, multidimensional, not just linear, but, uh, you know, evolutionary for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, is uh, we're given these uh, cycles to progress through. And if we don't get our act together during those cycles, well, then the next cycle is going to be less hospitable if we're still operating in primitive ways. I love cosmic rays. Bring on the instant change. You know, Robert Felix's book yeah. talked about those evolutionary leaps because it was so instantaneous with all these different types of particles. You could call it galactic radiated cosmic radiation, but you know, there's so many different energetic particles working within that matrix there to allow something to jump, um, if you will leap. So yeah, I'm a fan. Bring them on, bring on more rays. Right. Yeah. It's, it's affecting all of us right now, whether we realize yes. it or not. And some people are on board with it and jumped in with both feet and welcoming it. And then other people just, uh, you know, not of any less potential than the rest of us, but just because of the ignorance that's been perpetrated upon us um, are, you know, know the other shoes about to drop, but, you know, don't know really what's going on and, and so are afraid of everything uh, rather than just uh, embracing the adventure that we're active participants in something that's unique in the, in the entire universe. Yeah, I'm excited about the changes, you know, knowing that they're coming and not coming at it from fear, but from opportunity and knowing that there, there's, there's possibility to manifest or create something better on that backside without the reliance on all these systems that are drawing everybody down, including myself, you know, I'm part of it living here and have electricity where I flip on a switch. I'm not, you know, immune to anything, but yeah, I see something, uh, you know, uh, just a different way of life that I wouldn't mind experiencing and I don't go into it with fear because these changes in terms of you know, everything, the stability that people are used to, if it goes into a more of an adapt, you know, adapting lifestyle where every day, every week, every month might be different. Great. You know, I like to travel. That's part of the fun of traveling is adapting to new situations all the time whenever you're in a different country. But why not through life itself? I mean, the existence itself. So I'll leave it there. Mike, we cut you out of the conversation for a little while, didn't we? <laughs> oh, no, that's, I, I'm loving this. I'm actually engaging with others, uh, trying to get some questions in here. Um, but just kind of circling back to the breatharianism stuff, because this is one of my favorite topics uh, and something I've been talking about since like, God, the early 2000s. It was always kind of a joke amongst my friends and we'd go find like this breatharians online and stuff. But be, beyond the science of it, um, it's, it's a great point you make, uh, David, in regards to, you know, engaging with these concepts for out of a more pragmatic sense because of the food shortages. But the biggest thing we have going on right now is we have a predator class that has set up a system of uh, dumbing down the world and really forcing concepts of materialism and uh, these notions that we aren't empowered. We, we rely upon these, these systems to survive. And so how do we, how do we break free from that so that we can even start the, the path towards understanding something like breatharianism? Well, it comes through community. And so for me, it's like 
why we're on D Live right now and why we're, you know, why we have Alpha Vedic and why I embrace blockchain is that we need to break free from the shackles of this uh, controller class created uh, system and, and really start to embrace each other, those that are awake and those that are, are really intuitively feeling these changes and somehow develop these communities, not obviously physically within your own community around you is very important, but also globally developing communities so that we can start awakening together and start pushing these knowledge boundaries so that we can start spiritually and physically accepting this information and start engaging with new science and figuring out ways that we can actually start working on ourselves. And it, all, it always starts within, right? The one thing we always talk about is as above, so below. And so to understand anything about the world and about the universe, we can know that by just going into, into our own internal mechanisms and our own uh, spiritual um, awakening. So by working on ourselves and breaking free from the shackles of the conditioning, we can start down that path towards breatharianism. And um, Bear, we're gonna, I think we should do a show on this. I know we've, done, we've covered it a lot, but getting more into the science of it and understanding the steps that people can start to take towards becoming more self-aware and understanding that we don't need to uh, <clears throat> subsist on, on these particles so much and that we are an energetic, infinite consciousness that is in this um, spacesuit, this meat suit, and that we can control our entire biology with our, um, with our consciousness. And I, yeah, I feel like this is an amazing solution for the times ahead, but we, we have no chance uh, if we can't develop these communities um, because historically we've seen that you can't be the rogue, you know, mystical person up in the mountains. I mean, maybe you might have a shot, but humanity has no chance if everybody, it's a, if it's all everyone for themselves, right? It has to be a communal um, thing where we're all working together. So we need to start developing that infrastructure through means of decentralized systems, things like DLive here, things like, uh, you know, more decentralized social media, getting away from the technocrats, getting away from government controlled apparatuses and um, becoming more uh, self-aware. Yeah, a couple of platforms you might want to think about are Minds, M-I-N-D-S, crypto-based, and then Steemit as well. You know, because I'm, I'm taking the time to load all of my videos that I have transcribed and then the uh, images inserted in there as PDFs up into Steemit because I want to keep this on the blockchain unaltered. So when history reverts itself back and questions are asked about our past, at least that's there for the record. And... Anybody else can find it. You're talking about solutions and on a global audience. Well, I want them to be able to find my information that I put out unaltered because you see the amount of censorship happening across the planet today. I mean, who knows what's going to be here next year, two years, five years from now, we're going to be looking at a different world. So what will still exist? I think that platforms that do have a decentralized working mechanism in there for information storage are still going to be here and that information will be there unaltered. But will you get it unaltered on video platforms, websites, or you know some of these other social media platforms? I don't think so. Yeah, so the for server... me, I'm actually taking the time to put it up there because I think it's that important that we need to get the unaltered data. So when they say, "Oh, we knew it was going to cool," no, you didn't. You lied to us. 
and I'm going to prove it when we go back and it's here on the blockchain. So you can't say that. Exactly. That's what hit me over the head when I first got into blockchain, uh, like 2016, it was actually around the time of the election with all the nonsense, with all this, uh, fake news and everything. And it was like, man, all of a sudden universe sent me blockchain and I, my wife will attest to this. I became addicted to researching it. I was up till four in the morning every night. I would have these like manic uh, <laughs> awakenings where I'd run in the room like, oh my God, can you imagine what this is? Like what this can do? And of course, then we had the whole ICO boom and all the centralized control of it. But we've been on Steam, Steam uh, platform since 2016. Right around, yeah, 2016, we started doing posts on Steam it. I kind of got over a little bit as I got even more into nerding out on blockchain and seeing that there's even centralization there with the Steam platform. Uh, I'm not a huge EOS fan either with the um, with the way they're doing their um, their consensus. That being said, you're right on. And what's cool about Steam Steamit is once it's on, once your post, once the actual um, <clears throat> information is on there within like three or four days, it's on. You cannot take it down. It is on there. Now, uh, as long as that it's got uh, the right amount of um, dissemination or decentraliz decentralization across enough nodes, it'll be there forever. And that's the power of blockchain is the memory hole, the 1984 memory hole goes away. And that's something we're seeing more and more evident with, with Google, uh, which is frightening that nowadays, you know, we live in this polarity where thanks to Google and thanks to the internet, we have more mass awakening than we, we could ever imagine. But on the flip side of that, we also have the conduit of information being slowly pinched down to where we're only, um, you know, we have the, the, the term Google, right? It's that verb, go Google it. But when now what we're seeing more and more evident is because it's so centralized and controlled. And if you really nerd out on the history of Google, you'll see it was a, a deep state controlled or whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, system set up with, you know, they're always looking 50, 100 years out, knowing that this is where the world is going. And it's a complete 1984 memory hole system where you'll only get the information that they want you to see. So, yes, blockchain is the future. Um, right now, they're doing everything they can to centralize and control it. Um, however, um, there are there are, thank God, there's still enough freedom in the world where there are massive crypto nerds and blockchain developers um, creating the future of blockchain. And I'm happy to be on a team. And I'll announce it right now here. There's a new, there's a new um, project coming out called Quartal. And it's based off the old, um, well, it's from an old, it was the original blockchain that actually invented the very first smart contract. This was before Ethereum. And um, they're coming out now with a decentralized router for a decentralized internet. And with that router you get, um, it'll also um, be your miner. It's, and essentially, um, it's an all an open source project. Um, I'll uh, put links to it in the description below. We're about to announce it on Bitcoin Talk. And these are the types of innovators that are out there. And these are people that are literally working for nothing. There's no big money behind it. There's no centralized control. Um, it's, uh, literally just people that are sacrificing their time, uh, because they see that we're in a desperate dire straits right now, as far as this technology goes, because there are big companies doing everything in their power to take over the blockchain, uh, concept and do what they always do. 
uh, moving, going back to like uh, alternative energy, we know of hundreds of stories, Doc and I do, of, of really enterprising engineers who came up with whatever, whether you want to call it zero point or whatever, these um, magnetic based uh, generators that, um, you know, put out more than they take in and these people are killed off, they're, they're pushed to the side, uh, they're threatened with their life. We know there's so many of these stories, Royal Rife. Uh, in the 30s with all the stuff he was doing and how he was destroyed. I mean, even look at Tesla. So what blockchain does is it allows the information. The one thing they've always been able to do is destroy the information. They're, they raid that they raid the, uh, the laboratory and take the servers, right? That's what they always do. That's what they did with Tesla's work and um, also with the patents. The last thing you ever want to do is patent your technology. That's the ultimate honey trap. Uh, that's why patent system was developed, was to steal technology. Um, we need to move forward in a, a world that doesn't have patents. It's all open source. Open source, everything is the key to the future, all on the blockchain. And the blockchain needs to be fully decentralized, which means it needs to be completely distributed amongst nodes that are completely, um, uh, you know, what's, I'm a big fan of proof of work without getting too nerdy on, on, on the crypto side. Um, we need to be very vigilant with this technology because it is the future. So that's my spiel on that. But um, yeah, you're right on, man. And um, we'll find you on Steemit. Um, we haven't been posting as much on Steemit of late, but um, I try to always put our video streams on um, on uh, DTube and we put our podcast on DSound. And even though those have some issues, um, that it's better than, than the alternative, right? Which is the centralized servers on YouTube and on, on iTunes, et cetera. So we're slowly making that, that shift. And this is a good segue because I'm really interested to see what you think about this, David, on the reality of what's going to happen here, because this is something I struggle with. I mean, are we looking at a scenario here with, with this rapid change, which as you say, it's as, as soon as 2021, I personally believe it started last. I mean, I feel like we're already in the thick of it from what we saw from the winters last year and what we're already seeing now with snowfall throughout the entire Western states it was starting in the summer already. And we're seeing glaciation with, because we're getting more snow on top of snow that hasn't melted, et cetera. Are we see, this is the thing I struggle with. Are we going to be able to make that, that communal kind of uh, evolvement with stuff like blockchain? Are we literally going <laughs> to be, it's going to be so dire that we're going to fall into more of a Mad Max type world. I mean, these, this is something that I struggle with as far as prepping and, and, and all that. What are you, well, I mean, what's your true out, outlook or perspective on that? Well, I have a couple outlooks and perspectives. The first one would be if governments of the world were to tell us that these situation is strengthening with the uh, decreases in solar output and will affect traditional agriculture. And Bear, I'm not talking about anything that you're doing, but traditional agriculture as we think. You go out and plow the fields, you throw the fertilizer on them, you wait for the proper amount of rain and temperature, and then something grows. That is good. It's already out of kilter. You know, what we're talking about, the, if you look at the new FEMA reports coming out next year, uh, 2020, they put year zero as 2019. Now, what that means is the U.S. government has already anticipated that it's almost like patient zero, the one that spreads it. Well, this is year zero, the first year that we're going to have some food crop losses due to the grand solar minimum. So when you start to see this word or this lexicon year zero scattered about the publications, they won't really reference what it is. I mean, they will somewhere, you know, with a six font 
point at, on page 912 at the bottom as a footnote. But that's what that means, year zero is, this year is the year. And I'll agree, it started back in 2015 when the intensification started. You can see it in different points on the map. And when you match that up with what happened during the Maunder Minimum, places that kept good records in China, on the Silk Road uh, going back into 800 AD or so, you started to get a lot of pinpoints that were matching up with prior history. And then, uh, you know, it's really gotten bad this last year. You know, the USDA with their reports on the corn is just to stabilize markets. I mean, really what we're seeing out in the fields is something completely different. DLT is doing their crop tour too, and they're saying that USDA is off by at least 25%. China lost 35% of its corn crops and just agriculture in general due to the spring armyworm and then also the fall armyworm, which is still running unchecked across the country, nibbling whatever didn't get nibbled. Almost the same variety of armyworm there, but they just didn't have the uh, control measures in place. There's so much going on with the crop losses this year, and I don't know why they're not coming out and telling everybody. If they were to come out and just gingerly throw it out of the magazines and newspapers and on television, you're going to have to be more... Uh, relying on growing your own food. Why don't we start getting ready? Why don't you talk to your neighbor about growing food? If we could start to get into this kind of mind frame, and again, you know, Barrett comes back to the manifestation. What if 8 billion people were thinking the same thing, like nothing bad's gonna happen, we're gonna manifest this, and the entire planet's gonna work together, and we're gonna have abundance beyond wild dreams, we're gonna vibrate the plants differently, everything's gonna grow differently, the soil. Whatever we're thinking, 8 billion people thinking the same thing at the same time is definitely gonna change the structure of reality on this planet. But the way it's going now, it doesn't seem that governments are really warning anybody. So, well, you, Davey, you've already answered this question. I mean, why don't we have Tesla technology? Why don't we have all these other innovations? Because this is a harsh thing to say, and people need to need to understand this. We have a, a global system run by a death cult. I mean, it's that simple. <laughs> yes, with their and, symbology. Um, and they love it. They, this is great for them. Fear is their number one commodity. So um, they have no intention of, of um, seeing a vital uh, worldwide prosperous thing. It, um, it, long, they need to um, be able to not only commoditize and profit off uh, suffering, but they need it for their own spiritual um, you know, not growth, I guess, but the, the way that that's how what they feed off of. And we, we explain this more as far as the physics, physics go. And then people, you know, I think a lot of people have a gut reaction. Oh, God, the conspiracy, you know, David Icke, et cetera. But David Icke is right on. You know, he was one of the first guys that woke me up back in the 90s. And he's been spot on. You know, people scoff about the reptilian stuff or whatever. But it's time to, it's time to accept the fact that this is what we're facing and maybe this is nature's way of, of, of kind of cleaning up shop. Okay, well, let me continue well, on that track then. I'm sorry, Barrett, are you going to say something? Go right ahead. No, no. I'd rather hear you. <laughs> okay. The way it's going now, with the way it had occurred during the last five grand solar minimums, we're going to take you back to 79 AD here, going back a full 2,000 years. And we can even go to the sixth or seventh one back in you know, somewhere like two, four, or, uh, 450 BC or something like that. That's fine. But what they always find is this economic contraction occurs. And that's because so many people are dying off. So many people can't grow enough food. There's not enough food for everybody. And then there's huge population migrations happening. So when you started to see the transition here into this cryptocurrency at this exact same time, you know, what happened in all the run-ups during 2017, there was nobody, no way for anybody to exit out on their gains. 
So everything fell back. They were really, where do you put your money? It was very difficult to put it back into your entry point and, you know, get it back out. But now there's DeFi and you're taking a look at different ways. I don't know if you really believe if DAI is really truly a stable coin, but it's something that could hold against the downturn. So when it spikes this next time, if you're looking at DeFi with digital finance, the way they break it down, that you can hold something on a decentralized platform or a decentralized uh, stable coin itself to exit into that while things drop. There's going to be massive shifts in the economy. And I mean massive shifts in the economy. But this is where the greatest opportunity is. If you can see where the shifts are going to be, well, this whole entire industry over here in tourism and uh, food and bev, whatever it might be, is going to contract almost to zero. And all that's going to reinflate over in the vertical agriculture, indoor vertical agriculture, uh, you know, re retrofitting or refitting uh, parking garages and shopping malls that have gone out of business to turn them into indoor food growth centers. I mean, there's an enormous amount of opportunity. Our factor is going to have to be boosted in a lot of homes that people choose not to exit out of the areas they live in further north. And there's a huge range of opportunities for people out there if they see these impending changes. But it's always the same three things. And I, I would call it the fingerprint of the grand solar minimum. Population reduction, population migration, economic contraction or collapse, whatever word you like to use. And nothing goes to zero. Nothing goes to zero. But there's a huge contraction. And then uh, along with that, I think it's the food first, the inavailability that drives the food prices up. Because when you look back in the, I'll use the example of the uh, 1640s to 1670. Now during that time, and seven different countries in Europe, the food prices would spike up three or four X, and then they'd have a couple good harvests and it would drop back down to almost the baseline. And the highest that it ever had uh, increased up to was about seven X for the food price. And that was in Germany, Switzerland, and they're talking about rye prices during the day there. So think about if your food prices tripled, or if the food price is 7x higher, what are these people going to stop spending on first? And then if you can see where they're going to re-divert or reallocate those funds to to survive or you know, get what they need for their families and themselves to stay alive, that's where the opportunity is, is being there in advance, knowing what they're going to need and help them along the way without gouging, of course. And this whole thing about, you know, I hear some people going, oh, I can't wait for it. I can charge them. You got to, that's not the way to think, you know, but all these changes are stark, they're here, unless we think differently. And this is the whole thing. You know, Bear, I'm totally in agreement with you. It's gonna manifest one way if we think one way. The media is getting us to think this way. I want us to start thinking in different ways to work together, develop new solutions, uh, come up with new inventions that we can, you know, start sharing and, and like this economy that we have now. It's just not gonna last. We need to think of different ways to do it. But the mind is gonna be the, uh, I guess, the whole center point of everything moving forward how you're going to adjust to it physiologically, psychologically, spiritually. I mean, if people can't get their medication because the just-in-time delivery system breaks down because it relies on easy credit, which is going to lock up like 2008 and 9 again, even more so. It's not, there's going to be, if there were going to be a bailout, it would be something in a different form, but it's not going to be as widespread. And I think the contraction is there to last to usher us into the new crypto system. I don't think we're coming out of this contraction. I think it's meant to contract at a certain time right now during all these vast changes to force everybody into the new system. And that's just the way I see it. Because it's not just random happenstance that all these things are occurring right now when we're starting to get the food crop losses. Couldn't we, we had the tech, now, Mike, do we have the tech 10 years ago to get on blockchain and do what we're doing right now for the basic forms of it? Of course we did. Why did it take so long for us to, uh, to get at least basic blockchain technology out there? You know, did, soccer, or did Bitcoin really get invented? 
10 years ago? Could it have been 20 years ago? Why not 30 years ago? I mean, the tech was still there for the very basic type of constructs that we have for crypto. Why is everything rolling out right now? Right this second. There's too many things coalescing. I can't believe in all the coincidences happening at this time. Yeah, I mean, uh, we could go down many rabbit holes. Yeah, you could go a thousand directions with that, right? And the, but that's, you know, you wanted to go that direction with the thought, great. But Bear, I'm also, you know, I'd like to go on the manifesting into a different type of reality as well. I think uh, we yeah. Might have to yeah. Um, can I just say, so one thing real quick, um, backing up to, to just uh, solutions um, in regards to, um, health. Obviously, we've seen that when thing when when it gets colder, people get sicker. And you made a good point of people uh, not being able to get their medication because of the just-in-time system failing because of the credit crunch. That's something that we really I've been pushing a lot on Twitter. Is that we and and it's perfect timing too because we're seeing it more and more with the forced vaccinations and the failing medical system um the massive um epidemics we're having with um neurological disorders and uh, all these all this chronic illness is that we need to start understanding that our health is based on our own sovereignty and our, our own ability to heal ourselves yes um, in the future, I, I envision a world where we do have um, centers for trauma. So obviously, we need a hip replacement. Um, we have an emergency situation where someone's bleeding out. Like that's where Western medicine is massively skilled and important. But being on the teat of big pharma is not something that helps anybody. We know it; it's true. So getting more self-sufficient with your health so you don't you're not on medication is probably the number one most important thing and there's there's herbalism there's going back into the spirituality of it and all that um it's something that we um we talk about regularly every week on this channel so first and foremost i think in order to thrive you need to be healthy so you got to get your health in line right now you got to figure out what's going on with you if you're having health issues and getting self-sufficient and getting your sovereignty back to control that so you're not going to doctor's visits every week. That needs to end, first and foremost. Second, you need to figure out where your food's coming from and you need to start growing your own food. The big ag model is going to be a, a, a failing system um, as far as, you know, as we, as we head out of the grand solar minimum, then yeah, we should hopefully have these new models set up. But first and foremost, I just don't see it happening where we're going to have this, this whole new system set up so on the macro level, I, I do see great decline and I see great chaos. But if we can get into a community communal aspect where we are, you're, you, you get into a community where you can barter with your neighbors and you can each figure out what to grow. Because we know, and you mentioned, Dave, like if, you know, as far as economic uh, um, aspects of, you know, converting malls into growing food and converting wasteland and cities, it's not going to be able to to cover all of the all the agricultural land we're going to we're going to lose. There's oh, not even close. Not e uh, not even 10%. Exactly. Not even 10%. So self you have to take care of yourself first and foremost in your family and then your community. Um, you know, and so living in the center of Los Angeles, do you have a I don't know, is that the smartest thing to be? <laughs> not. Uh, no. So 
you need to, you need to start thinking of these things. And it's, once again, it's, this is not fear-based. This is not, this is just common sense stuff. And, and just for your overall health, is it, is it healthy to be living in amidst 5G and, and, and all the air pollution in some, in a place like Los Angeles, Mexico City, New York City, the cities right now are, are, are failure points, are the failure nodes of the current just-in-time um, system as far at, and as well as the, um, uh, the overall macroeconomic system where we have infinite growth. The infinite growth model is, is failing. So those are some very obvious things, right, that people need to start thinking about right now. Bear, what do you got to say as far as um, one thing I'd love to get into is soil science, moving into growing your own food. Um, and one thing that I really want to do too, first and foremost, is get an underground greenhouse going, stuff like that, so that we can be empowered to start um, producing more uh, food that's super nutrient dense. Uh, any, any words of advice on that, Bear? Um, yeah, boy, I've had so many thoughts come up, but I'm just enjoying listening to you guys. Um, I don't know where to start. Uh, here on the farm, we're, yeah, we're going into geothermal uh, greenhouses, you know, that are mostly submerged so that we can keep ourselves uh, growing year-round. You know, a lot of those measures. Uh, I can provide also a lot of anecdotal evidence of everything David understands even better about what's going on on the planet with the solar minimum. Uh, I'd also like to hear more from David, what he's uh, hearing just from farmers on the ground. Uh, you know, we talk in our community here. And, and it, what's unique about this community, we're not just farmers. It's not like going down uh, Highway 5 in the Central Valley and seeing all the big agricultural farmers. Yeah, they're all out there growing things and, and on their tractors, but they aren't surrounded by wilderness. When you're surrounded by wilderness, you can also go into the natural habitats and see that well, the huckleberries aren't thriving. Why aren't they producing berries this year? Uh, David, do you have any feedback as far as how much, um, you know, the things we notice like that are maybe uh, uh, related to uh, solar minimum versus aerosoling the atmosphere? Yeah, that new geoengineering program at Harvard is so much touting that they want to start. I think that's just a bad idea because, you know, if they have the particulates up there and we get a VEI 6 or 7 eruption, I mean, how long does that take to come out? I mean, if you already have all those particulates up there and then we have a whole bunch of volcanic ash and sulfur dioxide up there, you're going to get just an exponential runaway effect of cooling. But I keep getting a lot of reports of blueberries seem to be failing this year. Uh, you know, flowers not blooming, fruit that does emerge, it'll emerge halfway or it just won't fully fruit. You know, the fruit will be one quarter of the size and it'll never ripen. It's more like a seed with a coating on it, basically. Uh, a lot of the frost freeze, frost freeze damage types of things where blooms had emerged, everything died off and tried to reemerge again with another second flowering. You know, nature does its thing, but uh, the second flowering was killed off. And the dryness with the hay, you're getting a lot of farmers who are saying they have no hay. They're trying to, you know, sell their herds because they just don't have enough hay because it's something like $35 a bale and it's just ridiculous. And you start to see all these losses mounting up from the chilies to the lettuces, to the cattle, to the blueberry, to the fruit industry. And everywhere you look across the planet, it's happening literally everywhere. And now, you know, you talked about that, Bear. That was uh, my per report that I had today of a guy I'm going to call and talk with. He trades grains out of Saskatchewan and Alberta up there. And he was telling me that, you know, what you're seeing on the news where they're saying it's coming in or might come in to equal or last year. He's laughing, saying minimum 30% loss, 25% loss. 
compared to last year's crop. So he's really wondering with a straight face, how are these news organizations out there being able to put these news releases out when they know for a full fact that it's nowhere close. And I, I'm just under the volition is to stabilize markets and, you know, try to string this down as long as they can on the road here. But, you know, Bear, I might add in one last thing here. Uh, myself right now, I'm growing Moringa oleifera on my balcony. Those are really incredibly easy plants to grow if you have the right habitat for them. They like warmer uh, weather and that food itself is a superfood. We're trying to do some small raceway ponds here uh, for algae as well. And gainura, which is a Chinese longevity herb and it's grown in India, nutrient dense. It's called, you know, Asian spinach, if you will. Gainura is another one. And then the goji berries that grow out of a, a plant that goes straight up, you know, pretty easy as long as they have sunlight and enough water, goji. And these are, again, longevity herbs, with a lot of micronutrients in them. And that's kind of what I have for my own micronutrient uh, pantry out in my fresh garden to try to go out there. You know, the, the leaves are so easy to strip off moringa, dry them out, turn them into a powder, eat it fresh, whatever. But there's so many opportunities. And that's one thing that they found, too. Plagues would sweep through during the grand solar minimums because people's immune systems were so depleted. So whatever we can do to get these, you know, micronutrient dense foods back in our bodies to keep our immune systems up. So if it was sweeping through, you'd be missed because your immune system would just be naturally strong enough to fight off what would have taken everybody else down. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of those things you mentioned were, uh, were on those ourselves. And Moringa is a great one. <clears throat> up here, unfortunately, it went weather through our winters. So we're looking at uh, more tunnel greenhouses, you know, to, you know, keep them thriving during the winter. You know, another thing, um, we're noticing that fruiting and, and berries aren't uh, happening, you know, the way they should be, even in the wildlands. But one thing that does seem to survive better are more the, the low bushy things and, and just the herbs in the forest. So wild crafting could be a, a really good skill to pick up in the future too, because I think some of those will thrive when other plant species don't, because we already see evidence of that. For instance, things like nettles, you know, it's, uh, there's things, uh, you know, that we just consider weeds and, and useless. We clean them out of our yards all the time to do landscaping. And meanwhile, something like nettles is one of the more nutrient rich things you could possibly have. It's a medicine, it's a food. And uh, so I think it would be valuable for a lot of people to um, really understand what's growing just naturally that they don't even have to produce uh, or spend any time or money doing themselves. Uh, you know, in, in case of a long term solar minimum, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in the wildlands too. Uh, you know, you, Mike, you said an interesting thing about, uh, you know, people get sicker when it's cold. That's true when you're looking at the general herds. On the other hand, uh, when people start changing their minds about things, you know, people like uh, Wim Hof, for instance, comes along and says, well, cold is our friend. It'll actually make you healthier. And some of us have actually experimented with his techniques and show that uh, when we regularly subject ourselves to cold, we don't fear it and we combine it with different uh, breathing techniques, uh, you know, things that uh, they used to in other cultures called pranayama and so forth, that uh, when you combine the two, your immune system gets stronger, you don't get sick. And, you know, so again, it's about changing our minds about a lot of things. We're in a, we're in a predicament now because there's so many fundamental things that people are still in denial of. Back in the um, <clears throat> 80s and early 90s, we were part of a group where we were getting feature speakers 
domestically here, people like David Icke, you know, before he was a superstar and guys like G. Edward Griffin that wrote the definitive book on who's really behind the Federal Reserve. We were putting together seminars, getting people in, and then routinely we were getting busted by the FBI and thrown in jail and so forth. You know, we're uh, talking about alternative healing techniques and it was really catching on, but they shut it all down. Now, this was pre-internet, um, so we had to do it the longhand way. And uh, so finally what we did, uh, you know, we started going overseas and doing them there so the FBI couldn't bust us. But the point I'm trying to make is back then we knew that if people couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that our government, our, uh, our medical, uh, you know, and our political institutions, our financial institutions are all corrupt and not working for our best interest, then it's really hard to go to the next step of entertaining the, the idea of we're all center of our own universe and collectively we can create anything we want. But a few years ago, a lot of us in these movements, we got together and we said, okay, we've, we've done the best we can do with education and the people that understand that things just aren't right uh, are, are there and there's not enough time to educate people anymore. Now we do our little modest podcast here and talk about some of these things still, but what we're uh, more involved with now, like you, David, is solutions on, okay, where do we go from here? Because we have to start doing things and, and we don't believe there's time really to educate people that still don't know the basics because it's a sequential process. And you can even think of it as a spiritual process because if you, again, can't just see what's in front of your eyes, then how the hell are you going to go in and, and really going in, into the deeper levels of yourself and see things firsthand where you don't have to get external evidence anymore? Um, so I think, uh, yeah, that's where we're all at, uh, Michael and myself, that's what, what we're promoting and that's why we're having people like you on here. So any comments on, uh, where you think we're at as far as where our educational efforts should be, uh, placed at this point? Well, I was of the volition that people would take more action once things would become worse. So the reason I put out that publication with all the greenhouse designs and all the easiest plants to grow and in all the different hardiness zones and going out wild foraging wild crafting and all these kind of as a compendium of information and you know wallapinis from all you know there's so many different techniques out there i threw it all in one book and uh said go at it but i i think that that's it when things become difficult enough i think at that point people are going to seek more solutions because if it's too easy and life's pretty easy. Most people are walking along Bolivius right now. They don't really want to change anything anyway. They're not looking forward to the changes. They're just going to be like, oh, no, I don't want anything to change. I'm so scared. It's changing. Uh, that's kind of the crowd I was saying. Here's something so you don't have to be like that. Something at your fingertips that if it does get too tough, at least there's some information out there that will help you or allow you another step in a different direction. I think that's about all we can do because, as you know, my personal experience, I started the channel uh, you know, early 2015, just in January or so, and we got through those massive, massive record snows all across uh, New York City and Boston, and that year had the most snow ever recorded. And I thought, all right, well, this might be really game on, because I'd been studying the Grand Solar Minimum since I was a coffee buyer in, in Myanmar, and I'd been talking with John Casey during that time. Never really did much with the channel, just, you know, I was a coffee buyer. I saw the cold damage down in Myanmar. I reached out to John Casey because he had a lot of stuff on the net, and that was it. See, there was a focal point for me to reach out because I had a problem. 
Coffee was dying because of cold in Myanmar or Burma is the old name of the country. And then John was there and he was accessible at that time before again, it became superstardom after this grand solar minimum picked off. So, you know, having a repository or something where people can actually reach out to and uh, coordinate and connect to in case they're seeking information. And that's truly about the best I can do too. Uh, there's been a gradual increase in people's awareness and understanding and wanting to learn more, but it's been a, a slow, just kind of trickle. There's been no vertical upward movement. It's been sort of that, you know, a couple percent, couple percent, couple percent, just kind of static. If you could follow that line out eventually centuries out in the future, it would reach a hundred percent. But for right now, it's got that slow upward trajectory to it. Nothing curving, just slow and steady. I don't know if you've seen the same thing, yeah. but I think if it comes to the pinch point, people will come looking. I think I, I agree totally. And in the health field, you know, I spent a career in the health sciences and uh, people come to me when they're sick or when they get the big diagnosis. And, uh, you know, we, we, we help them quite a bit and a lot of times turn things around. But I'm always thinking, geez, it would have been nice if uh, we would have seen you about 10 years ago, uh, you know, because uh, this, this thing didn't happen overnight. You know, it's like going broke. It's the old saying, it's like things happen gradually, then all of a sudden. And I think that's what uh, we're going to see in the, all these things hitting critical mass now and then coinciding, not coincidentally, with the solar minimum is, uh, you know, things have been happening gradually for a long time. But uh, by the time people wake up, it's going to be all of a sudden. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to suffer because of it. But I, I, I agree. I think that's what it's going to take. And not everybody's going to make it. I, and, you know, we all have choice and we all want to uh, be empathetic and help people as much as we can. But if people uh, fail to just understand what's going on and, and, and stay in denial, then, you know, you can't fix that for them. So uh, we will have to take care of our own and, and just provide the solutions. Michael, you were holding up uh, one of David's books there. Uh, maybe you guys could talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was nice enough to send it to me, um, a manuscript version. Uh, you can get it online. It's called Climate Revolution, the Grand Solar Minimum. Understand? Oh, nice. You printed that out. Excellent. It's a digital copy only. And thank you for printing it out. That's great. The reason we've kept it a digital copy only is because inside there, there's more than 250 hyperlinks that take you out. So yeah, if we're talking that. about, yeah, solar cycles <laughs> and you don't know, like, I don't believe these guys click and it'll take you out to, you know, traditional resources through the ESA or NASA or something to explain what planets are. And then we come down into the whole second half of the book is about preparation. So I spent four months digging out those PDFs to try to find the best information I could so when I talked about a greenhouse, I went through 20, 30, 40 different designs of, uh, you know, organizations or institutions or, you know, development orgs that would have different protocols or some kind of designs for, you know, a developing country to try to get out there. So I tried to put as much information as I could of the same information I would send somebody that said, this is the best I could find. Why don't you click on that? And then it'll put you all the designs and we hyperlinked everything that we thought was value out there so you could get much more information than just what's written in the book. Because again, it's all about information. And I suggest people to, if you're going to do any searching online, forget Google, go straight to the PDF search engine. Cause that's not very censored. Actually, it's a lot of uh, just analytical research PDF search engine, and you're going to get a bunch of hits on things you never knew were out there. But uh, that's the best I could do for our, 
particular time right now is putting as much information out there with resource at your fingertips to provide the possible best outcome for you in terms of survivability. Everything's there from the wild foraging to, you know, do it yourself canning. Uh, you know, again, the whole post process of harvest after you grow something is one of the most important parts, but it's one of the parts where you're going to lose the most of what you grew if you don't do it correctly. So there's a whole section in there too on how to prepare it, how to store it. Just anything you can think about on food after you get it out of the garden and uh, co-planting and just so many things in between. Click and it'll take you out to better sites that you can read and read and read and read and read more about. So it's just a guide to get you out to better sites to get you to the correct information. Yeah, shout out to Craig at Radiant um, Creators. He sent me that manuscript. Uh, so uh, I, I really appreciate that. Um, where can, uh, David, where can folks find that? Um, that online? Uh, you can go to Payhip. We self-publish. We stayed away from Amazon due to the censorship, due to these type of issues. They're very not kind when it comes to things that go against the narrative and the listings and the ratings. So we just skip that all together. Uh, just go anywhere on any search engine, DuckDuckGo. We've gone and done some SEO in DuckDuckGo to try to get us to the front page there. You know, on any search engine, if you just type in climate revolution, uh, it'll pop up and it'll take you to the to the pay hip window. I appreciate you showing the book on here. I wasn't even thinking about talking about the book. It was just the solutions included there. I think were, you know, good. It took us months and months and months to get the solutions section. The the first part of it, talking about the science and explaining grand solar minimums. I mean, Bill and I, we we that's all we talk about. So that was the really easiest part to put it all together because we had all the images already to plug in there and just explain it from, you know, step one, two, three, four. What a grand solar minimum it is. Uh, what where some of the occurrences in the past, you know, how it unfolded, what you can expect now. We got better tech, better communication, better global delivery systems. So it's not going to unfurl the same way it did in the 1600s or 800 AD in the Chinese, uh, you know, emperor's times. It's just not going to. It's going to be very different. So after that was taken forth, then we went into the solutions. You know, I learned so much by putting that together as well. I learned oh, I so imagine. much about writing that solutions part. And, you know, I've implemented quite a few of those myself, so. Yeah, I've read the, I read the whole thing, man. And um, I'll say one thing that I loved about it was um, you, did a, you guys did an amazing job not only educating me about the sun, um, but with the climate change debate, refuting a lot of the nonsense right now with the anthropogenic uh, stuff. Um, and also just looking historically, right, at the, um, uh, the how civilizations flourish in warmer times and we're not even close to uh, as far as global temperatures go compared to like the uh, the warmer middle age period or the roman empire um but just it's it's a really simple easy read like it's really it's really fun to read it just goes you go through it pretty easily and it just really lays it out for anybody who doesn't have a huge background in this like myself it was really educational and then i really enjoyed the solutions aspect um, I think you guys did an incredible job. So I highly recommend this to anybody who's, um, you know, really interested in this. Um, we're seeing hysteria everywhere. I mean, I think climate right now is the number one trending topic on pretty much every platform. So besides the now impeachment stuff, but uh, yeah, it, you did a great job. And um, there's just so much, it's just power packed with information. And I do recommend while I had it printed out, I was like, oh man, there's so many hyperlinks I want to click right now and go down so many rabbit holes. But so yeah, the digital version makes the most sense. So, uh, yeah, please, uh, support David, uh, get a copy of that. 
and uh, enjoy the um, the ride because it is quite a read. Yeah, let me interject, Bear, before you, you chip. Uh, also, again, you alluded to this. Where does your food come from? Because in that book, it was all about, do you even know where the food depot is in your city or whatever town? Where does that food come first? It's coming off a rail line probably, or it's coming in by truck delivery. Where does that stop first? Because there's got to be a depository where all shipments come in unless they're going directly to the store. Well, some of that stuff is not going directly to a Walmart that's been prepacked. Some of it's coming into the city first, and then it's redistributed the same day, probably, or the next day going out. But where is that one central hub? And specifically, where is the food hub? If you're getting bulk cargo coming in of, you know, let's say thousands of tons of grain on a train, where is that going to? Where are the storage facilities? Where are the silos? If the stores run out, those storage facilities are still going to have food that you're going to be able to access. What about the nurseries there that are growing? Just like we're talking about right now, plants we've seen that aren't flourishing or there's problems with yields or growing. What about the local nurseries? They know even better because they're seeing it firsthand. That's their job. That's their livelihood of loving those plants and getting them to grow so you want to buy them and take them home. They know exactly what grows in your area, what types of fruits, vegetables, plants that you can put out first so you don't have the learning curve of something might die because it's too cold in the winter. They will direct you down so many solid paths. And then we also have the co-ops that are operating and uh, different government co-ops that will actually give you free seeds and free plants and free trees if you pre-order it for the season coming up. And they're a plethora of knowledge as well. So how knowledgeable are you about the resources in your own community? Where do you find the food? And uh, can you get somebody to give you that, you know, the, the steep learning curve that you would have spent years that you don't have anymore failing on planting something that wouldn't grow correctly? So that's a whole nother part. Of, there was a whole chapter in that, like, where's your food coming from? Yep. Yeah, yeah no. And that's a, a great point as far as you were talking about what you've been growing, like the, was it Moringa, which is- I Moringa, know Moringa oleifera? Yeah. Uh, and I looked into that uh, a few months back because that was something that really interests me. And uh, as a fan of permaculture and understanding, um, you know, you need to come to grips where you live, where you live, and what you can grow. It's really hard to grow that up in the Pacific Northwest just because of the uh, zone we're in, unless you're doing it indoors. I know it's making more and more sense to go indoors for everything, but um, you know, so we look at other other variables uh, or other types of um, similar type of nutrient dense herbs and stuff that we can grow in our climate. And so you're right. Um, look towards the local nurseries, look towards um, if you have a permaculture guild or anything that you can access and figure out and just go into, um, you know, your local uh, farmers markets, et cetera, and see what does well in your area. Cause you do need to grow for where you live. Um, and permaculture is something we haven't really discussed yet here. And it's something that I know Bear and Deb and we're really into, um, you know, growing food forests and companion planting and using nature's uh, natural growth cycles, uh, biodynamic farming, et cetera, to really flourish. Um, getting to know, understand all this, um, it is a huge learning curve. <laughs> Just someone who grows on my own property and all these failures I've had. So any um, any shortcut we can find or any a way that we can help educate ourselves faster uh, is spot on. That's a really good point. 
Yeah, Bear, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, we, uh, we've actually been nurserymen for quite a few years, a uh, couple decades at least. And uh, so we owned and operated two different nurseries and uh, we're too remote for that right now. But uh, we shut down our last uh, nursery uh, south in Humboldt County in Northern California. And, uh, but we, what we created up here is a permaculture guild and, uh, you know, just trying to get people involved as far as understanding, you know, what we're moving into so that uh, we can start planning as a community because, you know, we're, we're fine here. We can cover a lot of our own needs, but we'd like to see the whole communities uh, thrive through this. And our permaculture guild has uh, gotten a lot of interest. And as part of that is old nursery people. Uh, we've kept all our accounts opening and, and what you said is spot on. You, you have to know your resources and where to get everything. So we have accounts with all the, uh, you know, the organic uh, amendment companies and, and all the things you need to, to grow anything. And uh, so what we created up here is a buyer's co-op for all the local people, whether they're home gardeners or small farmers, where they can get everything wholesale. And, you know, we don't make anything out of it. We just cover our own costs. But it's part of what we think is important for uh, communities to survive. And, you know, especially, you know, we have to take care of our own community because we know that we're not going to be an island either when everything kind of hits. And it's already hitting. You know, people say, well, when? Well, it's, it's, it's already started happening a long time ago. Uh, people just aren't aware of it yet. So uh, we know that we'll be as strong as our community is. So you have to start thinking a little bit uh, beyond yourself uh, also because uh, we don't ourselves have all the skills we need. We can't provide for all the things that would allow us to have an ease of lifestyle through all this. And, and it's uh, great, you know, when you can get a community and, and everybody shares their skills or resources. Now, permaculture, um, you know, I, I spent a, a, a almost a lifetime studying biodynamic gardening and, and kind of the old European alchemical school of, uh, you know, producing in that way and understanding how to grow with the larger patterns of nature and understand what they were in the first place. But in recent years, we've uh, done more of the external certification process with permaculture, which gets you more into design and everything. And there's been a lot of valuable things that we've learned from that. It's a little bit too um, institutionalized for us. You know, it's, uh, you know, like we did ours at Oregon State University and, and it was okay. They had some good people up there, but they're still coming at it more of an institutionalized way of, you know, like an academic science, uh, uh, so to speak. And rather than just uh, getting your, your hands in the dirt and getting dirty and, and finding out, you know, how to grow things firsthand. So the one thing I tell people, and I hear people all the time out there, especially preppers, they, you know, live in urban areas and everybody's buying seeds and, and prepping, but they have no concept that, you know, you don't just throw some seeds in the ground and have some food. You have to have a space. You have to learn how to grow it. It's a science. I mean, I spent the day yesterday with a farmer here in Southern Oregon and the guy's uh, been at it as long as I have been and just a wealth of knowledge. So we're sharing information with each other. And I learned a tremendous amount just yesterday. And we talked about the solar minimum, by the way. I'm sorry I'm going all over here, but, uh, but it was a good conversation that you guys would enjoy um, in their area in Southern Oregon. And he has massive acreage. They have uh, 
uh, <clears throat> caves on the property with geothermal uh, properties and hot springs and things. So, you know, we're kind of talking about, well, if it really ever gets real, real bad, then, uh, you know, we're going to take advantage of these natural features in our geography where you can keep warm no matter where you're at and, you, you know, and, and uh, you know, not only grow things, but, um, you know, take care of the, the, you know, the, what the earth is providing inside as well. So, uh, you know, farmers around here are very aware of all these things that are happening, everything from geoengineering to the solar minimum. And we don't have to read a lot of books about solar minimum because we've been noticing for a few years that things just aren't fruiting, things are growing slower, things aren't maturing properly. Uh, but fortunately, we have enough experience uh, in order to, you know, take countermeasure measures and, um, you know, compensate for some of these things. So, you know, we're still doing okay. But uh, yeah, there really needs to be on a grand scale if, if vast population segments, especially in urban areas, are going to have a fighting chance at all. Somebody's got to get out there and start doing things like yesterday. And uh, we're gratified and in small communities like ourselves. We're doing those things and starting to come together. But I think it's going to be a day late and a dollar short for, for most of the people out there. I, I, don't, I think I failed to answer your question. In fact, I'm not sure what it was at this point. But uh, yeah, those are the, the measures that we're taking just at a local scale. That was a perfect answer. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I was going to, you just, you know, I think we keep harking on this idea. It's about local community, getting self-sufficient as much as you can yourself, being in a place where you can have support. Um, and um, I mean, I think even in the city, if there's enough people in your neighborhood that can get together because, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of ways to grow in the city um, if you get smart, but that's tough. That's tough. We're in, we're in a time right now where I, I agree. It's a little too little too late to, uh, to make it work in that way. Uh, that's just kind of the, the reality of it. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's hard. We're not fortune tellers here, but the, the, the takeaway is, um, it's not really healthy to be in the city anyways, for the most part, just the way, um, technology is going and with all the, uh, radio magnetic frequencies and everything you're being bombarded with. So if you can get out of the city, it's probably a good thing for now. Um, there's lots of cool towns you can get to that still are very culturally enriched and you can um, get cheap property still. So something to really think about. And I think there is kind of a mass evacuation of people in the know that are going out and starting homesteads. It's becoming a really uh, trendy thing to do and also getting off grid. So um uh, yeah, that the permaculture is a science unto itself that I think people should geek out on. And, and related to that, there's the whole earthship home kind of movement and stuff. And well, I'm not a fan of every aspect of that, like using, reusing tires, which are seeping chemicals into your house. There's a lot of really cool technology. And that's something we talk about entertainment before we started the show and how it's really tough to watch mainstream television these days because of all the programming built in. So one of the things I've been geeking out a lot on, on YouTube is there's some great channels where um, people are going in doing many documentaries on these alternative living situations where people building, whether it's tiny homes or the thing for me, it's been the underground homes and the earthship kind of concepts where um, they're reusing their gray water and their black water for their plants outside. They're building into um, using 
the terrain of their property to build underground for geothermal regulation of temperature. Um, they're, re they're capturing water. Um, they're doing much more uh, basic technology of solar. So using the sun's heat, um, capturing it in a way that's not using solar panels per se, but through uh, much more simpler technologies to warm up their home or to capture that heat. Um, something as simple as a swamp cooler for cooling. There's all sorts of really cool um, ingenious ways that you can integrate basic technologies to be more self-sufficient and also more eco-friendly um, that is really cool. So looking into those and um, God, I want to drop some links maybe on the description here and then YouTube and stuff. Um, we have a, our new Patreon channel too that people are joining and we're going to have a whole section there of resources so people can check out. But I've been really geeking out on that a lot lately as these, these folks that are getting off grid, they're building into sides of hills or mountains or going underground. It's just, a, it's a, it makes a lot of sense, especially if you're coming into really cold times. Um, the earth, uh, the geothermal regulation of temperature um, will decrease your need for energy, uh, decrease your need to b burn fuels, to stay warm. Um, and it's also just uh, a really cool looking home to live in. So um, these are all things that we can start doing right now um, and opting out of <clears throat> why have, you know, there's a lot of people that live in the city because of their career or whatnot, but you have the ability to go remote now. Um, you have the ability to, thanks to the internet, um, get away like myself. I do technology stuff. So I was able to move my family up here to a very remote area. That's gorgeous. Uh, in the Smith River Recreation Area where we, can, where we can kayak and we can raft and we can fish and we can hike. So we have a really high quality of life. It's not like we're out uh, in, in some really rural, boring area. Um, however, we also have the ability to grow community. Like we, I started, a, I spearheaded a farmer's market in our community this summer and I started a bartering system for people and, and really trying to get more education as far as our neighbors growing more in their food. And, and, and generally when you move out to the country, you notice most people are growing food. I mean, they've got at least summer gardens going, greenhouses, et cetera. So you already are a way ahead of the game in, in terms of being more self-sufficient. But these are all simple things that people can start thinking about. And, and you know, you move out to the a more rural place, you can still go visit the city for a weekend and enjoy the cultural enrichment of museums and going and seeing a show and stuff. Um, I think it's a really cool way to live personally. But yeah, look into the Earth, Earthship movement and getting off grid and getting more self-sufficient in those terms because it's really simple technology. And there's people that are doing this thanks to permaculture and reusing because of all the waste in our society. You can go out. One thing that I've been doing a lot with my kids, it's been really fun, is um, after school we'll go into the forest and stuff and we'll find all this old timber that's just been thrown away um, or just on the side of the road even. We'll find old redwood slabs and built shelving out of. And there's all sorts of things you can do that cost literally no money um, in, in as far as building and stuff. And there's really great resources now online where you can start looking into that and you could maybe get out of your really expensive mortgage and get into a more eco-friendly living situation that would also empower you to, um, have a much more efficient means to warm yourself by going underground. Yeah. Do you want to stay out of so, debt as well? Because things are going to get more expensive as we move forward. You want to have that available, line of credit if you really need it. You know, everybody's so overextended right now. If you really need it, you're going to have trouble getting it. So my first thing is 
try to get yourself more out of debt because you're going to have to maybe get more in debt as we move forward as the prices rise. Sure. So David, I'm really enjoying your Adapt 2030 YouTube channel. Um, ever since I discovered you here a few weeks back, uh, <laughs> is this the best way um, to uh, just get all of your material or do you have other websites or things uh, that you could tell us about? I do. I have a website called oilseedcrops.org. And I originally started that when I was looking at Moringa oleifera plantation along with the coffee buying down in Myanmar. So I went through different types of plantations, but I've revamped the site since then where I take all of the uh, written content and try to you know, compile it in a single place. But the most interesting thing on that site is the Grand Solar Minimum Preparedness page. About 120 links inside there that take you all to the science sites, all the data sites, other consolidators of either extreme weather or other uh, types of things happening within our environment that are verifying this Grand Solar Minimum. Oilseedcrops.org. That's oil as in oil. And then seed, like a seed that you would plant, and then crops with a S, crops that we would harvest, C-R-O-P-S, dot O-R-G. And uh, that, that's another way, because I do try to put my videos on there, too, that I finish up with. I put the podcast there, my own podcast. I have the, uh, the written content as well as the videos all compiled in one place. Now, again, you know, Bear, you hit this on there about the wholesale and helping other people get ready around you, because no person is an island. Now, your community might be ready and the next community might be ready. There's going to be hundreds of others that aren't. So this whole thing of my really my greatest hope is that the information I put out there can help more people get ready more soon. Because if there's other communities are more ready, I'm more ready because they're more ready. And if we can all get a little more ahead of the curve, then uh, this is really what I, that's the only reason I'm doing this. I mean, when you start to look at, is there anything 15 years from now in terms of uh, retirement and the economy? I don't see it. But you know, as long as I have this breath in me to be able to help get people get ready for these changes. So we're all more ready. See, that's the thing. If we were all ready, we would all be ready. And I, maybe I'm just talking in circles, but uh, it's all about getting more people ready because then we can rely on each other. So maybe, you know, your community is totally up and running and the next community is, but what about the next one 20 miles away? If they could get more uh, self-sufficient up and running too, then they could start to connect like an interconnected web. And those are the people you would be trading with skill set wise. Maybe they grow something you can't grow. It's in a different microclimate. Then you can start to compare and, and get everybody on board. But I wish there were thousands and thousands of communities like yours that were already ready, but it's just not. So sharing the info is the best way to try to do that. Well, what do we see with the fall of empire? Usually after the fall of empire, you have the emergence of city states. Right. Or so I, I, I personally see that as the future where we have city states that are interconnected via decentralized technologies. Um, that to me seems like something that makes more sense than these large nationalistic um, kind of structures. Um, but, um, you know, I'd, I would love to envision a world where we have <clears throat> we have something because going more we've, we've seen that the, the globalization and the infinite growth model does not work. So we need to have something that's more holistic. And if we can have a more, you know, community-based infrastructure like that, because we've seen that the way the leadership works on a global scale, it, be, it becomes too centralized and it gets corrupted too easily. And then 
um, people suffer. And we've seen that over the history with the fall and rise of empires. So maybe we can finally get it right after this time. But first and foremost, we got to weather the storm. And to weather the storm, we need to be, as you say, have communities prepped as best as possible. And hopefully those can interconnect. I think that's a fantastic way to kind of leave off the show is find your community. And you can do that both virtually through stuff like Telegram, Discord, uh, jumping into Steemit. Um, Get off, you know, Facebook and stuff's great. And you need it to stay connected with your family and the older generations, the boomers and stuff are really love Facebook because it's to them, you know, such a a novel technology. But then you've got, you know, like the high school kids are on. I don't even know what they're on anymore because even Snapchat's kind of passe. But maybe we can get them all on the crypto decentralized systems. Um, But yeah, find your community uh, virtually and locally. Um, There's all sorts of ways to go about doing that. I personally love the the crypto community because I think they, a lot of them, a lot of people that were, uh, attracted to it are are seeing the issues with the system failing and they're seeing they're looking for solutions and we were talking about I always say it wrong the anar what do you anarchopoco yeah anarchopoco um, like going to stuff like that and meeting folks there not only is it a great time at the beach but you get to meet a lot of like-minded people that are looking for solutions so those are the communities I feel are going to be the ones pushing the, the innovation to move forward um, while the old guard, the legacy systems are torn down, whether they like it or not. So that's a positive thing. And I think there's nothing but positives here with this discussion today. Uh, I think people can leave this talk feeling invigorated. Um, One thing, if you own property, you can start to look around your own property and see like, how can I build food forests? How can I grow more food? How can I, really use my land to the most benefit to me and my community. Um, and then start talking to your neighbors and seeing what, what they know and what they see start, you know, people right now we've been pushing in these bubbles and these are our own little simulacrum uh, where we're in our own little echo chambers on Twitter, Facebook, um, everything is delivered to our house, Amazon, Netflix, et cetera. And it's very easily to get ice, very easy to get isolated. And as consciousness, as infinite consciousness, we're all connected. Like you are me, I am you. We are all the same. We really are. We're the same person. And we need to get reconnected in that way. And this is going to force us to do that. So there's just so many positives coming from this. So embrace your community, find your community, um, and start um, having these discussions with like-minded folks. Um, And you'll find that you'll not only will have create new, great, wonderful friendships, but you'll also be empowered um, to not only take more sovereign control of your life, but also have more fun with it. Um, There's nothing more fun for me right now than going out in my garden and on my property and figuring out ways to use what I have to um, benefit my family and myself and my community. So I'm converting my orchard, for instance, into a food forest. Um, the original owners just had a more traditional orchard with grass all around it with little, you know, tree plots. And now I'm ripping all, I'm taking all the grass out and I'm building a food forest in it. Not only will it provide a better ecosystem for animal life and insect life, pollinators, et cetera, but it'll be fun for myself and my kids and my wife to go in there and play and find, pick out food. And this is fun stuff. So, um, 
Yeah, I think that's a great way to leave the conversation today. Any parting words, Dave, for our audience? Thanks for watching. Hope you got something out of the conversation. <laughs> well, and I hope <laughs> that's I hope to have you back on. I mean, I think uh, you know we're really just starting this channel. We're in our infancy right now, and it's been really fun to see it grow. But we are at the the very very beginning of it. And um, you know, we you talk about economic um, opportunity with where the world's going, and I think Alpha Vedic is a great example of that. Our main um, uh, business model is we are first and foremost an agricultural company. And we use permaculture in, to, to grow our cash crop, if you will, which is Jiao Gulan, which I'm sure you're familiar with, David. We're living everywhere out. over here. The tea is amazing. Again, you talk about a longevity type of plant growing to keep your body in tip top shape and keep <laughs> that's it. Yeah, exactly. So we're not only are we growing that for ourselves, but we're growing that for, um, you know, our community uh, uh, and, and beyond so that other companies can in the end, uh, as we go into more bulk sales, have really high quality Jiaogulan to make in their preparations for whatever they're doing. And we use it in our teas and other products with tinctures we're coming out with. But that's an economic model, right? That's something where we can thrive and we can actually do commerce and, and do really well because we're providing a product that not only um, is being grown in, in an appropriate way, but also will benefit um, our customers. So that's just a model one, you know, this is the model that people can start looking into. Um, and also just, there, you know, a huge movement right now is in the urban farming and, the, and something my brother-in-law has done successfully in Detroit. Um, and it's something that people can look into. You don't need a lot of, a lot of space on your property. You got a quarter acre, you got an eighth of an acre, you can grow enough food for an entire neighborhood easily. And you can choose whether you want to get into microgreens or uh, aquaponics or some, some niche market too. You can actually create your own business and, and leave your nine to five job, which more and more moving forward is not going to be something that is going to make much sense to folks, um, is, is become an entrepreneur and start and, and dive into what is often scary for, for you, but so empowering. Someone who's been an entrepreneur, I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years now. I haven't worked for anybody but myself. It is so empowering to be in control of your economic destiny. So look around your land. And if you can start your own little farm and start growing something that you can take to market, not only are you empowering yourself, but now you're creating a, a new uh, market for your community, um, you know, spurning, uh, providing more um, assets for your local farmer's market. There's just so many cool things you can do to get off the rat race and, and to benefit uh, yourself, your family, your community moving forward. So um, that's uh, my two cents on that. Uh, Bear, any parting words? No, just uh, thank you to David. You're making a huge difference. You reached a lot of people and you know, when I watch channels like yourself, it gives me hope that we're not just out here by ourselves. And, and then when I see all your followers, uh, uh, you know, it just makes me really believe that uh, there is hope for all of us. And there's a lot of people on board thinking the same way. So thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks, thank David. You. And I hope to see you down in, uh, in our, uh, at some of these um, future um, conferences, because that's something I really want to get into more. So I look forward to meeting you in person. Anarch Acapulco uh, is, I was in February. Somebody on DLive was just asking um, how you get involved with that. I'm going to drop a link right now on the chat. Um, but I think Bear, uh, having Bear talk about, um, there about health sovereignty, 
they're doing, by the way, this year they're doing a whole uh, couple days on health, alternative health. Um, so I would love to get us down there and, um, the dollar vigilante dude, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah. Dave. Jeff Berwick. Yeah. I follow him. Yeah. He's a badass. And, um, uh, he calls it out. Does it have guy? He says things. I'm like, Whoa, can't believe yeah. he doesn't get stopped at more airports. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, one thing I love to is travel as well. And I, God, I would hate, to, you know, to have to not, you know, the grand solar minimum to stop the travel but i i feel i feel like you'll still be able to as long as you're doing the right things and making you know doing commerce in a smart way so and he's a great example of that he's traveling all over the world spreading knowledge about the follow the dollar and crypto and stuff and he's a big uh, he started this i believe or he was one of the founders of an archipelago so um i'll link everybody on this god i want to get down there i'm going to make that one of my priorities is getting there february uh, 10th through the 20th 2020 um, heck, I'm going to hit him up about DJing down there because I've been a DJ for 20 years and I do events everywhere. So maybe we can work that in too. Um, but um, that's something really exciting. I think merging health, alternative science, crypto, all of that, that's the future. Those are the future big industries. Um, and to be kind of in the center of all that, super exciting. So um, thanks everybody for joining us today. Um, if you want to follow us, please join us on Telegram. That's um, probably the best way to join in on our daily conversation, t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. We're trying to grow that rapidly. Um, you can also find us, um, all of our social links are on our website, alphavedic.com, which we're doing a massive overhaul of right now, which will actually convert to alphavedic.org. But you can find us on either of those, alphabetic.com currently. That has all of our links to DLive and all of our other social channels. We started our Patreon, um, uh, and there you can join our co-op. Uh, the co-op is something we're still building out, but that's going to be a way to not only get discounts and get more um, access to information, um, but also a way to start uh, engaging with us um, and help us build out this community we're talking about today. So you can... Join us on uh, Patreon forward slash Alpha Vedic or just go to our website to find that link. Um, thanks everybody for joining us today. Have a wonderful day. Take care.